Thanks, worship team. Good morning again. A successful Chicago attorney's only son died in 1871, shortly followed by the Great Chicago Fire, which ruined him financially. Then in 1873, he planned to travel to Europe with his family on a big ship, but sent the family ahead while he was delayed on business concerning zoning problems following the Great Chicago Fire. While crossing the Atlantic, the ship sank rapidly after a collision with a sailing ship. All four of his daughters died. His wife, Anna, survived and sent him the now-famous telegram, Saved Alone. Every one of us have certain levels of pain, trials, discomfort, confusion, oppression in our lives. And um, with the orphans, there are, there are kids all over the planet that are being oppressed, that are wandering the streets in Calcutta, India. It is full of little ones that have no home. And God has something to say about this kind of pain. He has something to say about whatever it is that you're going through. No matter if, if it's uh, a seemingly small trial or if it's something big, like a husband or wife that's left you. Like a child that's wayward. Like the haunting memories of a mom or dad that never did approve of you. Maybe some of you have been sexually abused. Some of you have been physically abused. And you're carrying some of this with you, stuff with you. Where are you at? Do you feel alone? Do you feel confused? Are you carrying hurts? Are you misunderstood? Do you wonder where God is and if he even cares for your own situation? Well, today, God has something to say about that. He's got something to say about what he's doing and what he sees when we're hurting. Let me pray. Father, I just uh, thank you again, uh, Lord, for this uh, privilege of um, hearing about uh, your heart for the oppressed, your heart for orphans. And God, there's a, there's a message uh, prepared today. But Father, I just pray that you would uh, do whatever you please with it. God, we just so desire to, to see you, to proclaim you, to worship you, to honor you. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would just enable me to stand behind your word, that I'd not bring any offense to it. And I pray, God, that we would leave here not merely being hearers of the word of God who delude themselves, but doers of the word of God where we find blessing. And we pray these things in Christ's special name. Amen. Just in the way of, uh, of review, the last few weeks, we're, we're studying the book of Genesis. We're in chapter 16, starting in verse 7 today, going through the end of chapter 16. And where we've been is, if you remember back to chapter 12, it's been 10 years. We find ourselves 10 years past since Abram was sent out from Haran since he received God's blessing that he'd become a mighty nation. 
and that everybody on the planet would be blessed through his descendants. Sarai has not been told at this point if she will bear the promised child. Hagar was more than likely given to Abraham by Pharaoh in exchange for Sarah when they were in Egypt. Hagar was Sarah's property. Sarah could do what she pleased with Hagar. Sarai wanted a child. She'd been barren. She was in her 70s. She'd been barren. And she wanted a child, and she wanted it now, and she was going to do whatever it took to get a child. She took matters into her own hands. She helped God out with his promise. Abram listened to his wife. Not that listening is bad, but he listened to his wife without consulting the Lord. Abram and Hagar conceived. And at this point, it's really important to understand that Abram did not disobey God. There's no disobedience involved, but he didn't wait on the Lord. It was more a sin of omission rather rather than commission. Hagar turns to her mis- turns on her mistress Sarai. Remember what it said that she showed contempt for Sarai. Once she became pregnant, she became she was now Abram's other wife, and she showed contempt. Hagar showed contempt towards Sarai. Sarai blamed it all on Abram. Abram absolves his responsibility as a father or as a husband, and he checks out, and he says, "Sarai, you do whatever you want with Hagar. It's not my responsibility." And where we find ourselves today is after Hagar fled. Hagar fled because Sarai treated her harshly. And we're not sure exactly what that means, but uh, it was was severe. It was words and uh, potential physical harm. If you'd open your Bibles up to 16, I'm going to read through the entire chapter just to get our bearings. Chapter 16. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell against all his kinsmen. Dwell against all of his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahairoi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. When Abram bore Ishmael. Uh, excuse me. Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Let's look at the, at the first verse. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. Now remember what she's doing here. She fled because of Sarai's harsh treatment. And Hagar has some responsibility because she expressed contempt towards Sarai. There's a couple of things we need to understand here just in the way of facts. And I would submit it to you for your further study to maybe go deeper in it. We're not going to have time this morning. But one is, who is the angel of the Lord here? Who is the angel of the Lord? Angel literally means messenger. 
carrier of news. And I would submit to you here that the angel of the Lord is, is the pre-incarnate Christ. It's the second person of the Trinity. It's the pre-incarnate Christ. Now, there are scholars that you know, know more than I'll ever know that disagree with that. But based on my study, it appears that this is, in fact, the Lord. And if you look at verse 10, it says this. Verse 10 says, The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply the offspring. I will surely multiply. Seems to me that would be something that the Lord would say, not an angel. Verse 13 So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. So I would submit to you that the angel of the Lord here is God himself. Second thing that we want to understand is the significance of the spring in Shur. And and Shur is a wall. It's it's literally on the border of Egypt. And why that's important is that Hagar was hightailing it back home. She was going back to Egypt. She was leaving her problems behind. She was leaving the harsh treatment, and she was heading to Egypt. Then we also see the, see the spring here. We also see the well in, in uh, verse 14. And this, this is mentioned twice, and the reason it's mentioned twice is that it has some significance to the author and who he's writing to, and that's Moses writing to the Israelites. Okay? And the very first place that they stopped was the wilderness of Shur after they crossed the Red Sea. Red sea. And I'm not sure what the significance is, honestly, beyond that. Let's take a look at verse 8 and 9. And he said, the Lord said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. A couple of principles that we can learn here is one is don't avoid or run from pain and responsibility. Don't avoid pain and run from responsibility. Two is go back. We can't reconcile when we run. But I want to say this. There's some of you that have ran from dangerous situations where you're you're physically endangered. The Lord does not want you in a place where you're at risk. But outside of that, whether you're a spouse that's running, whether you're a child that wants to run, whether you are an employee that's tired of the garbage at work, don't run. Don't avoid or run from pain and responsibility. Understand that God is in control. Forgive it. Forgive even if you can't return or are not wanted. Think about Joseph at the end of uh, Genesis. What did he do? After he was thrown in a pit by his brothers, left them for dead. What did he say at the very end? He said, what, what they meant for harm, God meant for good. Remember that? Remember that. What they, whoever is afflicting you, whatever your affliction is, what the enemy or that person had for bad, the Lord meant it for good. It says in Romans 8.28 that he works what? All things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And the last principle that we can learn from these two verses is submit. Submit to whatever role God gave you. Submit, if you're a child, submit to your parents. Spouses, husbands, and wives, submit to one another. Employees, submit to your employer. Let's take a look at verse 10 through 12. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. 
He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over, over and against his kinsmen. A couple of things are happening here. The very first thing the Lord does is he blesses Hagar. He blesses her. She is in turmoil. She's been afflicted. She's been treated harshly. And he tells her that her offspring will be multiplied. And then we'll see in Genesis 17 that not only will they be multiplied, that, but that Hagar's descendants through Ishmael will become a great nation. The Lord himself calls it a great nation. This great nation, you know what it's called? What these people group are? It's, to, it's the Arabs. It's not Muslims. It's not the faith of Islam. It's Arabs. And there's just something that the Lord convicted my heart as I was going through this. Because, you know, when I drive up at the airport, I go through the, uh, to pay my bill, or I, or I, uh, I get in a taxi cab when I'm in California. Um, oftentimes there's Middle Easterns that are driving it, or at these ticket booths. And, uh, and I, and I gotta tell you, my first thing sometimes is fear. Or my first thing is, is judgment, or my first thing is, is, is pointing the finger. Christ died. Christ shed his blood for all 400 million Arabs in the world today. He laid his life down for the Arabs. Now, 93% of the Arab population happens to be Muslim. And Muslim means that they are followers of Islam. And Islam is against Christianity. But there, there, is, there are a lot of Christian Arabs. And you know what? There's a lot of places around this world where the soil is fertile, where the harvest is plentiful, where these people that got blinds on their eyes, that the Holy Spirit is just waiting to remove the scales from their eyes with the good news of Jesus Christ. He died for the Arabs. And I don't know what your thoughts are about the Arabs, but that's something I want to confess to you, that I've had some hostility in my heart. And these are people that were born from Abram and descendants of Abram, just like you and I were. They are a people group just like the Jewish nation is. Here's another reality, though, that comes from these verses that we just read. Is that Ishmael will be a wild donkey of a man, and everyone including his next of kin, will be against him. That there is going to be some kind of, of a, I don't know if you want to call it a curse, but difficulty on this Arab people from now until the Lord comes. And I just wanted to encourage you from this verse to maybe next time you see an Arab to pray for him. To pray for him. Gary Cooper gave me a quote. And I might butcher it, but I think it was, uh, I think it was Gandhi that said this, that I understand. He lived with some missionaries and he says, he says, I understand you're Christ, but I don't understand you're Christian. Because we've got such hate for people that are not like us. Verse 13 and 14. So she, Hagar, called the, called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Ber Lahiroi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. This literally means Elroy, the God who sees. What a neat, neat concept 
to know God is a God who sees, that he knows every hair on our head. He knows our standing up and our sitting down. He knows every trial. He knows every oppression. And she worshipped him. Not because he solved her problem. He didn't. He told her to go back to where she'd been harshly treated. God didn't solve the problem. But because he saw her plight, he was near and he cared for her situation. He worshipped her. She called him, you are the God of seeing. And the reason she called him that is verse 8. He knew her name. He knew her vocation. Verse, first part of verse 11. He knew she was pregnant. He knew she had a son. And she, he knew she was afflicted. And how she was afflicted. God knows every intimate detail of what's going on in your life. Every intimate detail. And he cares for it. He cares when you're hurting. He knows every detail of our lives. He knows our hearts and he knows our shortcomings. God knows me better than my wife of 29 years knows me. There's nothing hidden from him and he still loves us. Is that amazing? There's nothing hidden from him and he still loves us. All the skeletons that every one of us have in our closets, the things that are in our hearts that would ruin our reputation, he knows that. And he loves us. He loves us unconditionally. He knows the good. He knows the bad. And he loves us. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6 says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. He knows every aspect of us and he cares about every trial, every detail of our life. Last two verses, and we're going to look at some application. And Hagar bore a son to Abram. And Abram called the the name of his son, who Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. It had been 10 years since God's command and promise. In 13 years, when Abram is 99 years old, he will understand the true promise. That Sarai will bear a child. Sorry. And it says this in Genesis seventeen sixteen. I will bless her, Sarah. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Remember the story that I started with? The story of the man, his business burned. His son died and his four daughters were killed at sea. The story continues. Shortly afterwards, as Horatio Spafford traveled to meet his grieving wife, he was inspired to write these words as his ship passed near where his daughters had died. You guys know the song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, 
when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul, it is well with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless state and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of his glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. For me, be it Christ, be it Christ, hence I live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pain shall be mine. For in death as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest, be my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Can you say it with me? It is well with my soul. Folks, this man, Horatio Horatio Spafford, Lost his son, lost his business, lost his four daughters. And the only way that he could have hope in that moment was knowing that God is sovereign, that the God who sees Elroy sees his plight, that what the enemy meant for harm, God meant it for good. Psalm 10.1 says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And then the response is in at chapter 10 of Psalms. It says, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that the man who is of the earth may strike, tar- stri- strike terror no more. And this was David talking. This is David when Saul was chasing him. Where he said, Why are you doing this, Lord? And at the end, David praises the Lord. When you feel oppressed, lonely, confused, and misunderstood, don't run from the problem. Hit it head on, either in person or in your heart. If you can't go back to solve the problem, do business in your heart. Forgive that person. Understand that the Lord is sovereign. God sees your situation. He cares about your situation. He wants a relationship with you. And the last thing I want to read to you this morning is a letter It's a three-paragraph letter written by Dennis Rainey, head of uh, Family Life Today, Jim Daly, head of Focus on the Family, and Stephen Curtis Chapman. And this letter is written to orphans, but it has application to every one of us, particularly in times of trial and of oppression. And it says this, Your life matters. There is no one else on earth just like you. You were made in God's image, created on purpose for a purpose. Your worth has been given to you by your Heavenly Father, and no one can change your value in His eyes. There is a plan, a future, and a hope in store for you. We can say this confidently because the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 31.3, you are loved with an everlasting love. God cares about you, and His thoughts towards you are of mercy and tenderness. We care about you too. 
We understand that it may be hard to grasp this truth when the world seems to be working overtime to knock you down and trample your sense of who you are. You've likely been wounded in ways we would find difficult to imagine and are still hurting. You might have been bounced from foster home to foster home. You, you never really connected with anybody, never having a chance to build lasting relationships, never feeling like you belong. Or perhaps you've experienced the heartache of physical, emotional, or sexual abuse and have been treated unfairly and unjustly more times than you can count. It brings us great sadness to know that you've, been, that you've endured such trials and that you've often had to deal with them alone. We want to assure you, even though it may not feel true, God has not lost track of you. He sees you. The book of Psalms says in Psalm thirty-four, eighteen, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He knows what you've been going through and invites you to turn to him for strength and comfort. It is out of God's deep love and compassion that he offers to be a father to you. We encourage you to take him up on that promise. Dennis Rady, Jim, Jim Daly, Stephen Curtis Chapman. If there's anybody here at all today, young or old, if you are here without a relationship with Jesus, if you are fatherless in the, in the sense of eter, eternality, that God the Father sent His Son Jesus to die for you. And He wants a relationship with you. And if you're here with Christ, in the trials, turn to Him. He's the healer of your heart. He knows everything that's going on.